The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Let us open our Bibles to Acts chapter 11. We're going to kind of pick up where we left off. And there's just a few verses there. The title of the message this evening is, Wake Up to a Miracle. How many of you would love to wake up tomorrow morning to a miracle? (laughs) Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we welcome the Holy Spirit here tonight, and may you speak to us, lead and guide us into the truth, because the truth is what will set us free. And Father, I pray that tonight as we share your word and as we give even at the end of the message the invitation of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that if there is anyone that has been drawn by the Spirit or by the circumstances of the world or their own personal life and journey, and now they're, they're really ready to say, Lord, I need you, I want you, uh, I, I want to open my heart to you, then Lord, I pray that tonight would be the time of their decision, that they would be born again spiritually, receive the gift of eternal life and the forgiveness of sins, the presence of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, we thank you and we do thank you that we get to pray for people. We thank you that you're healing people, you're delivering people. You are faithful. You are worthy and you are amazing. And we give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' mighty Wonderful name we pray and ask all these things, and everyone said, amen. amen. Okay, um, 1 Corinthians, or I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians, for Acts, <laughs> chapter 11, beginning in verse 27. It says, and in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem uh, to Antioch. And then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. And then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So what I want to share here is a time of preparation. God has given gifts to the body of Christ, and one of the gifts that he has given is the gift of prophecy, and sometimes those prophecies uh, are a warning about what may be coming in the near future, and it gives the body of Christ an opportunity to look forward and to actually prepare. Now, you, if you were part of our church this last year, you know that our word for the year, every year we have a word for the year, and the word for last year was prepare. And uh, boy, there's a, there was a lot of wisdom in that as we have continued to prepare. Now as we go into 2021, and the most important thing we need to be prepared for is spiritually, that we hear and learn to hear the voice of the Lord. Listen to this. The most important thing beginning right now and moving through the rest of this year, the most encouraging thing I could share with you is learn daily to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and whatever he tells you, obey. Do what he says. He will lead you and guide you from deep within your spirit. It's not just uh, moving by our rationale 
or by our own ability to think problems through, but we have a gift. We have the Holy Spirit within us, and the Holy Spirit is God, and he knows all things, and thus he can give us insight and wisdom, so he will lead you and guide you step by step, day by day, and as you obey his voice. And tonight we're going to see a story in the life of the apostle Peter, how his obedience, and by the way, obedience is the doorway to the supernatural power and presence of God working in your life. Can I hear an amen on that? So the goal of your life should be, I want to be as close to the Lord as I can, as obedient to the Holy Spirit as I can, so that God can lead me and guide me by the power of his spirit. So let's go into chapter 12, and this is, this is a, an amazing story. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Uh, and so beginning in verse 1, verses 1 through 4, and I'll just give this the life lesson right away, truly God sees our trials. And I realize and recognize that we're all going through trials. And uh, it's good to know that God sees the trials we're going through. So chapter 12, verse 1 says, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. And then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, or at least the leaders within the Jewish religion, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. It's like, wow, he, he killed James, one of the original 12. And the Jews were pleased with that. And so he thought, wow, I'll arrest Peter's another big name I've heard. Maybe that will please them more. But that was big trouble for the church. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, so this is Peter, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. So God is, now God is watching and seeing what is happening to his people. And what's happening now is something really that is new. For the very first time, now we, we know the original story and Stephen was a young man and he got caught up and filled with the spirit and he preached and then he was the first martyr of the church. But still, the church was growing, the church was advancing, the church was multiplying, the church was having miracles, it was spreading, uh, the, the glory of God was upon them. And now for the first time, one of the twelve, so it's James, not the author of the book of James at the end of the New Testament, but it's James who was the brother of John. John and James were two brothers. They were both fishermen and they were two of them members of the 12. And so James became the first member of the 12 apostles to become a martyr. Now, up until, you know, where we are right now in Acts chapter 12, the church has been in a streak of success. I mean, they've just been having blessing after blessing, experiencing one miracle after another, one conversion after another. Uh, first of all, Saul of Tarsus, who was against the church, persecuting the church, gets radically saved on the road to Damascus. And then a very prominent Roman 
Gentile centurion who was in Caesarea named Cornelius has an angel visit him, then is drawn and led to Peter, and he and his whole household get saved, and now the gospel begins spreading throughout the Gentile and the Roman world. And then we read that as there was some persecution beginning in Jerusalem, some of the believers went into the next country just north of them in Antioch, a very large cosmopolitan uh, city of wealth and industry and trade and immoral as well, and a lot of empty people. And God planted a work in Antioch, and the church in Antioch began to really grow. It started with the Jews, but it then began to be added more and more and more and more Gentiles and Romans of all kinds, and the church was exploding. But now, all of a sudden, here we come to Acts chapter 12, and this ugly opposition that is inspired by the devil himself. And all of a sudden, the death of one of the 12, I'm sure, had a shattering impact upon the young body of Christ. Because up until this moment, the 12 apostles had, a, had really enjoyed a unique divine protection. And now, knowing, so they, they, they martyr James, and it pleased religiously the Jews, so now Herod goes, oh, get Peter, and they get Peter, and now they assign a high security detail because Peter's been in prison before and the, the story on this guy, word on the street is he, he escaped. Some kind of a Houdini that he was able to get out of jail. So Herod said, I want four soldiers on him. So Peter is in jail and he has one handcuff to one Roman soldier, another handcuff to another, and then outside his gate, there's two more soldiers there. So Herod goes, I've got this guy locked up. He is totally secured. Ha! We're going to find out something different, though. All right, look with me in uh, verses 5 and 6. And I want to just say this. Imagine waking up to a miracle and having an angel as your alarm clock. So beginning in verse 5, it says, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. So now let me ask you a question. You, so here we read about Peter. He's got two Roman guys on him. He's got two more at the gate there. If you were in prison and, the, and you just heard that uh, James has just been beheaded and now they've got you locked up and tomorrow may be your last day and you might have your head chopped off, how many of you would sleep very soundly? I don't think we would sleep very soundly, but Peter did. He was, not only is he sound asleep, but he is in such a deep sleep that when the angel comes to get him out, the angel has to strike him on the head to wake him up. Now that's a, how many would say that's a deep sleep? May God give all of us that deep sleep. May we not be struck in the head though. So now here's interesting, Peter's, this is his third arrest, third time he's been arrested. Now, every other time, there has been some great victory, some great wonderful thing has happened. But this time, 
He is arrested because one of his closest friends and brothers, James, has been martyred, has been beheaded. It was very, very different. And yet, Peter was at peace in the midst of his trial. Now, I know that there are some of us here tonight that you are going through some pretty intense trials. You are being rocked. And especially if you had gone through a season where good things were happening, maybe you're making your way toward a deeper walk with the Holy Spirit, with the Lord, and walking in obedience to Him. And just like the enemy does, he goes, oh, we can't let that go on. And so he's come against you. He's come in opposition. He's come to attack you. So I want you to know this. God sees where you are tonight. God watches, and he knows when the devil gets mad and when the devil's going to go after one of his children, and the Lord will come to your aid. He doesn't just watch and observe with his hands behind his back, but he watches to see what he might do, when he will do it, and he always wins. Can I hear an amen on that? He always wins. So where did Peter get this peace? You're saying, okay, look, if I got to go through trials, and we have to because we're in a fallen, broken world, at the very least, I would love to be at total peace and have the peace that passes understanding in my heart. Why did Peter have peace? Number one, I want you to know, people were praying for Peter day and night. I want to encourage you, especially those of you that are challenged and going through trials and struggles, I want you to be humble like a little child and everybody that you talk to and everyone you share your trials and woes with say, pray for me. Enlist them to pray for you. And then ask, when they say, yes, I'll pray for you, then you ask them, now how can I pray for you? And let us bathe ourselves in an environment of prayer especially as we move through this crazy year, 2021. Yes? Amen? Amen? Look with me at Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Let's read this out loud. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So if we have people praying for us, and the more people you get to pray for you, the more peace you will experience. But there was another reason why Peter was able to sleep. He wasn't even worried about it. He had handcuffs on each side, two Romans here, two more at the gate, and he's like, I'm going to get a good night's sleep tonight. Why? Because Peter had inside information. <laughs> That's what's beautiful about being with the Lord. You, you have inside information. We know the end of the story. And by the way, in the human story, we're kind of entering into somewhere near the, the, the waters of the book of Revelation. Jesus is coming. The king is coming. And his kingdom will come. And there's nothing the enemy can do to stop the coming of the kingdom of God. And the king is coming. Jesus is coming. It's glorious. But Peter had inside information. Peter knew that he was not going to be killed by Herod. In fact, he knew tomorrow they're not going to lay a hand on me. They're, or they might try to do something, beat me, but I'm not going to die tomorrow. How did he know that? Because Jesus told him. He told him his future. And it's in, in the Gospel of John. 
And uh, it, there where Jesus is with Peter and Peter is saying, well, what will happen to me, you know, at the, the end of my life? And basically what Jesus told Peter is, you will be an old man. You will live to be an old man. Now, Peter was martyred. All the apostles were martyred. But Peter lived out the full, rich life that he had. And then, like his Lord, he was crucified for the Lord. But having been given that inside information that Jesus said, I got a plan for you. I've got a purpose for you. And you're going to make it all the way until you are at an old age. And then I will call you home. So it's good to know the Lord because the Lord knows everything and he knows the future and God can reveal his personalized plan and his will for you as well. It's always good to have the word of God. It's always good to have people praying for you. And it's always good to have inside information about what's going on in your life. Amen. Amen. So now look with me in verses seven through 11. We'll look at verses seven and eight uh, first. It says, beginning in verse 7, Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up. <laughs> I told you he was sleeping deep. So the angel had to give him a little pop on the side of the head and said, Arise quickly. Hey, get up. And his chains fell off his hands. And then the angel said to him, gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So here's what I want you to notice here. Verses 7 through 11. Peter's obedience to the angel or Peter's obedience to the supernatural. In verses 7 and 8, once again, we're in the book of Acts. And by the way, uh, one of the words the Lord, well, gave me, the Lord gave me two words for 2021. One is visitation, and the other one is restoration. Acts chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Because I believe we're living in the last days, the Lord promised that in the end, he will restore all things. And I believe part of that restoration for the church is bringing the church back into the dynamic, into the power, into the moving of the Holy Spirit, just as it was in the days of the book of Acts, with angels, with deliverances, with supernatural signs and wonders, and the mighty move of God upon an entire world. Can I hear an amen? So angels were very involved in the first coming of Jesus. May I say that angels at an accelerated rate are apparently very involved near and up to and following the second coming of Jesus Christ. So while the angel comes, he brought light. There was a supernatural light that came into the cell and then liberty and freedom into the cell and I want to add, the soldiers had no idea what was going on. They had no clue what was happening. But I want you to know that when the angel did appear, he told Peter to do a couple of things. Number one, he said, hey, Peter, he woke him up. And then he said, now, get your sandals on and gird your loins. 
Now, what is the expression? It's in the Bible a few times, gird your loins, because 2,000 years ago, uh, and, and in the Middle East, and even to this day, they kind of wear these long, you know, robe-like things, which is great. It keeps you a little bit cool and protected from the sun and all of that. But if you're going to run, you can't run with that kind of a deal on. So you pull up your robe around your waist, and then you tie it with a belt of some kind or a leather strap, and then you can run. <laughs> so that's the expression, gird up your loins. Now that expression is used in the New Testament that believers, when the Lord is ready for us to run, we need to gird our loins. It means get ready to move, get ready to follow, get ready to obey, get ready to run. Amen? And then he told them, you've got, and put on your shoes. Now, here, you know, I'm going to make something, say something that's a little bit obvious, but sometimes you need to state the obvious for it to sink in. The angel did not put Peter's sandals on for him, nor did he tie, you know, gird his loins. When the miraculous comes, even when an angel of God comes, angels won't do for you what you could do for yourself. They will do what they do supernaturally, but you partner with them doing what God shows you to do. Now, Peter was obedient. He put on his sandals and then he girded up his loins and he was ready to now walk out. So I want to just say this. Peter's obedience is a very important part of the miracle. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's in Deuteronomy 6.4. It's kind of the John 3.16 of the entire Old Testament. It's called the Shema. Every Jewish person knows it. Every Jewish person can recite it and say it. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Which means here, Shema means to hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and the word one is echad, which is a divine unity we spoke of a couple of weeks ago, and it can be multiplied. There can be many in that divine oneness. But Shema, which is translated here, O Israel, can also be, that word can be translated obey. So literally the most important verse in many ways of the entire Old Testament Shema, O Israel, it doesn't mean just to listen and hear information or new teaching or doctrine or interesting things. It means hear in such a way, very carefully, so that you obey what it is you hear. So we need to hear the Lord in such a way as we obey him. And it may be something as simple as put your shoes on, gird up your loins. I'm about ready to do something supernatural. The practical and the spiritual go together. God can do the extraordinary, but we must do the ordinary. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but he asked men to roll the stone away from the tomb. So look with me in verses 10 and 11. Or in verse uh, Yes, put on your garment and follow me. Verse 9. And so he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Now that's very interesting. 
Peter's supernaturally being delivered by an angel. Literally, it says the handcuffs fell off of his wrist. A light shone in the you know, cell. He, an angel wakes him up and he says, put on your sandals. He puts on his sandals, gird up your loins. He girds up his loins. And now he's going to go out. And what it tells us is Peter thought it was a vision. Peter often had spiritual, supernatural visions. And I want you to know, Peter couldn't tell if it was a vision or if it was the real thing. Now, what I want to say to you is, that's a great place to be. I don't know if this is just a vision that is in my mind's eye that the Lord is showing me, or if it's really happening. How many of you would love to be in that kind of a place? When you walk in obedience, that is what God can do with you, in you, and through you. So verse 10. And when they were past the first and the second guard posts, <laughs> so they're just walking out, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, and I want you to look at this. So now they're, they're at the gate. The gate is locked because it's a prison. So it says they went up to the gate, the iron gate, which is locked, which leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street and immediately the angel departed from him. Now, where it says the iron gate opened of its own accord, the Greek word for of its own accord is automatos. It's where we get our English word automatic. Do you love that? I love this. Um, the soldiers, the chains, the guard posts, the iron gates were all nothing when God was with Peter and when Peter had prayer behind him. So look, many of us worry about the iron gates even before we get to the iron gate. In fact, your iron gate may be the end of the month. Oh no, there's an iron gate coming. I don't have enough money for the end of the month. What am I gonna do? And you're worried about what will happen when you get to the iron gate. I just want you to know this. God, if you walk with him and walk in the spirit, you have people praying for you, you're obedient to the Lord, God will take care of the iron gate as you walk up to it, it will automatically open and let you pass through. It opened automatically of its own accord. So verse 11, it says, And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. He's out in the street again. He's out of prison. The Lord does it again. And when he's out, I think maybe the cold night air, he's like, wow, this is not a vision. This is like for real. How exciting. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose nickname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she got so excited she did not open the gate. The little scatterbrain sister said, oh my gosh, it's Peter's voice. And she just ran and left him at the door. But ran in and announced that, hey, Peter is standing before the gate. But they said to her, you are beside yourself, which is a nice way of saying you've lost your mind. 
Now, here's the thing. Where did Peter go? He's set free. He goes, I know. I'll go to the house of the people praying for me to get out of prison. So he goes to the house where they're all praying for him, knocks on the door. Rhoda goes, yes, who is it? It's Peter. And she runs away. And she tells all the people who are praying, we want to get Peter out of prison. And she says, hey, Peter's at the door. And they go, you're nuts. We're praying for Peter to get out of prison. I know, he's at the door. (laughs) Oh, gosh. So funny. Look with me, verses 12 through 19. When God does this supernatural, be ready for an earthly delay. God is answering the prayer, but because of the confusion, there was a delay in the actual answer that would come. So she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness. She did not open the gate, but ran in to announce that Peter stood at the gate. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. And so they said, it is his angel. Oh, again. Now that's very interesting. Why would they say that? What did Rhoda say? Rhoda said, I heard Peter's voice at the door. And they said, well, it can't be Peter. Even though we're praying for him to get out of prison, Peter is actually in prison. That's why we're praying for him. (laughs) But they said, oh, it could be his angel. Now it doesn't go into describe a whole lot, but There was an understanding within the early church that each of us has a guardian angel and that somehow, some way, there is some similarity of your particular guardian angel to you and may in some sense resemble you or be like you or in a familial way because in the Old Testament, angels are called the sons of God and in the New Testament, we are called the sons of God. So they're a different part of the family, but we are related. And wouldn't it be interesting if your angel looked like you, but was an angel? How interesting. And I think it's fascinating that he, you know, that's, that was their first thought. Now, Peter continued knocking. Poor Peter. <laughs> hey, Rhoda, hello. Continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished but motioning to them with his hand to keep silent. I mean, can you imagine when they finally saw, no, it's him, it's not his angel, it's a real guy, they're touching him and they're screaming and they're going crazy. God answered our prayer, there's Peter and they're probably, you know, shaking him and pounding on his chest and he's saying, okay, I'm glad you like seeing me. But he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James And to the brethren. Now, this is another James, not James, the brother of John, one of the 12, but this James is James, the half brother of Jesus, who wrote the book of James right there in the end of the New Testament. So he said, Go tell these things to James back in Jerusalem and to the brethren. And he departed and he went to another place. Then, as soon as it was day, there was No small stir among the soldiers. I guess so. (laughs) They go, what happened? Where did the guy go? It's, you know, how did the angel do it? I don't know. These are not the droids you're looking for. I don't know. He did something and he just said, they're gone. And now, what became of Peter? But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. Uh Uh-oh. Wow. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea, and he stayed there. 
And we will stop there for just a moment, but I just want to say this. Isn't it interesting how much emphasis we often put on faith? So they're praying for Peter to get out of prison. When Peter gets out of prison and actually is delivered by an angel and actually shows up at the door, knocking on the door, they don't believe. How many times have you been told, hey, man, you got to believe, you got to have faith. If you don't have faith, God won't answer your prayers. Listen, I want to tell you tonight, God is going to do what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it, whether you have faith or not. Sometimes God just does what he wants to do and he desires to do and he just does it. It's, we should believe and I bet they believed in a whole new way after this. But it was the will of God. Now you say, well, wow, this is amazing. Look what God did with Peter, angel, four soldiers, iron gate opening automatically. Why didn't God do that for James? And that's a really good question. And the answer is, I don't know. I don't think any of us know. All I do know is, God had one plan and purpose for James, and he had another plan and purpose for Peter, and he'd even told him what his life would be. You're gonna live out your whole life, don't worry about it. You'll be in prison and various things, but you've got, God's purpose was for Peter was different than his purpose for James. Now, on the one hand, there may have been a day when Peter said, wow, I'm jealous of James, because James has been in heaven all these years ago, and he's been in heaven for so long. I wish I was in heaven but I'm still hounded and harassed and beaten and thrown in prison and jail. But that's what God's will is for me. So we can never you know, look and say, well, I, you can't compare God's plan and destiny for your own life with someone else. God has a purpose and a plan for you. And until he's done with you, you are really kind of indestructible. If God's will is to take you home to heaven, nobody has gone to heaven and said, oops, I, I wanna come back. If you go to heaven, how many of you plan on staying there, right? So what is God's purpose? What is God's plan? That's what we have to look at. Now, I have a personal story. Let me see where I'm at here. And uh, it's a story that, that involves my daughter. And my daughter is actually here, Annie. We have a story about an angel that appeared in our house. So Annie, I'm going to have you come up and share that story briefly. I didn't tell her I was going to do this, and you got to hear from my daughter. This is a testimony. Here, we're going to get you a little microphone. It's kind of a funny, it's a funny story. Hi, Dad. Hi. Hi. Okay. Good to see you. Hi. My daughter, Annie Stone. Please welcome me. Share the story. Um... He was going to tell this story. You did not tell me that I was going to tell the story. Okay. Um, but he came over for a coffee earlier, and so we were like, we had this actually happen to us, remember? The reason that I asked you to tell it is because I knew if I told you, you say, Dad, you forgot this, you forgot that. So I'm just like... Yeah. It's true. Those are most of his stories. Um, okay, so we not were... Long, okay. short version. <laughs> We were having dinner at your house, like my husband and our three kids, and um, it was time to go home. And um, 
we were, and I had actually been praying to see an angel. Do you know that you have not because you ask not? Um, and I don't know if some of you see in the spirit realm, I would see a lot of demonic forces. I'm like, Lord, I want to see angels. I know there's a lot of angel visitations in the Bible, so I want to see an angel. So I was praying for being able to see an angel at the time, actually. And um, so we were leaving the house at the end of the night, and um, all of everybody was out front on the driveway, and it was just me and my mom. And we were walking through the house, getting to the front door, and passing their front room. And as I passed the front room, I looked in, and I saw a man seated in my dad's brown leather chair in the front room. And I, he was so real, so physical, that I literally was upset immediately, thinking someone was there for ministry, because this happens all the time in our house. And I was like, I can't believe they're waiting in the front room while we're having family time. It's so rude. And I was upset. And then I looked back again, and I looked again a third time, and the man was gone and disappeared. And my mom was right behind me, and she saw my head like whipping into the front room, you know, a few times. And then I just thought, I'm going to just ponder this and go talk to the Lord about what I just saw and test, you know, we're supposed to test the spirit. So, um, so I didn't say anything and I just was like, what in the world was that? And the amazing thing was when I tested against like the, this, the word of God, I remembered this story that our guardian angels can actually, you know, look like us, that they thought Peter's angel was at the gate. And so when I, thought about the man that I saw in the front room. He literally was wearing khaki pants, um, and he had a blue button-up collared shirt. He had brown hair, and I couldn't really see, like, his features on his face. Um, I just didn't, you just, I don't know, it was fast. Um, but that was literally, and around, like, in his 30s, and that was my dad's uniform. If you knew him when he was in his 30s, he literally every Sunday preached in brown khaki pants and a button-up blue shirt that was collared shirt and he used to have brown hair <laughs> your guardian angel was younger than you I just realized that that's funny <laughs> anyway sorry you're killing uh, okay, okay, okay. So, so the next day my mom's over at my house and she's like what did you see in my front room did you see something demonic in the front room and I'm like no it was an angel and then I, she's like how do you know and then I told her everything that I just told you and then my my dad, of course, happens to call right at that exact time, and she says, tell your dad what you saw. Tell him you saw an angel. I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. So um, I start to describe, um, I, all I said was, dad, when I was leaving your house last night, I saw, and he said, stop. And he, he, goes, he goes, you saw an angel, and the angel was sitting in my brown leather chair in the front room last night. And I'm like, what? Oh my God, shut up, shut up. I mean, I couldn't stop saying that. I was freaking out. I'm like, wow, how did you know that? And he said, as soon as you open your mouth, I saw a, a, a picture in my mind of my brown leather chair and an angel sitting there. And he said, of course it would be sitting in my brown leather chair because that's where I do all of my devotions with the Lord. So, and this kind of happens to us all, a lot where we'll speak each other's visions, dreams. I mean, we had it this morning, mm -hmm. even talking about this right now, and that's even that ahad, that oneness. So the Lord is pouring that out. But pray to see angels. So, yeah. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. 
See, she told it better than I would. What happened with my brown hair? I don't know. Anyway, bow your heads and close your eyes. That's a story that makes it come alive and it's real. And the Lord is with you, watching over you. There are angels and you have at least one appointed, divine, heavenly, guardian angel that's with you everywhere you go. And you ought to know that and you should be grateful and thankful for that. But we're gonna have communion. So bow your heads and close your eyes. We have an open communion and um, uh, we wanna give anyone an opportunity that maybe has never given their life to the Lord. Um, the, com the communion is where we remember that Jesus died on the cross, his body was broken, that's why we eat a little bread. But then his blood was shed to wash away our sins. And it's very, very powerful. And it's for believers. Um, so if you've never given your life to Christ, I want you to know that God loves you. Je the Spirit of God has been with you from, you know, he, he knew you before you were in your mother's womb. He longs to have a personal relationship with you. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into them and we will sup together. In Jewish culture, that's translated, we become family. <laughs> so I'm going to give you the opportunity to say a very simple prayer. In fact, I invite all those who know the Lord to pray with me. We're going to, as we remember and remind ourselves of the beauty of our salvation before we partake. But it may be somebody that's recommitting their life, coming home from many years ago, or for the first time, and if you do pray, you're gonna ask, admit that you're a sinner, you're broken, you're lost, and you need forgiveness, and you're gonna ask him to forgive you and fill you with his spirit, the gift of salvation. This is not a promise to become a better person. It's an admission that you are lost and broken, need healing and forgiveness, and he just gives you the gift of salvation, writes your name in the Lamb's Book of Life, fills you with his Holy Spirit, gives you the gift of living forever as his son or daughter. And if you pray this prayer and are sincere, tonight could be your first believer's communion. So if that's the desire of your heart, then let us join together in prayer right now and pray after me as I lead us in this prayer. Dear Lord, I admit that I am a sinner and I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I am so sorry for everything that I've done wrong. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place. I open the door of my heart and I ask you to come into my life to be my personal Lord and Savior. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. I receive the gift of eternal life. And help me follow you, Jesus, all the way to heaven until I see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.